14 through 26. The title is Faith Without Works is Dead. <laughs> I need somebody to come up here and read. Andy would, would be perfect, but he's running the words in the back, so we'll get you next week. Oh, he's just going to come read. All right. The slides disappeared? Oh, goodness. Try to find the James presentation, Kevin. Andy's going to read verses 14 through 26. Here we go. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and well-fed, but does nothing about it, their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you, not, uh, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that as a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Amen. So like I said, you know, uh, James kind of punches you in the face a bunch. And so get used to it. we got a little ways to go yet, you know, so... Yeah, so the title I said, like that last verse, faith without deeds, or some of the translations say works, faith without works is dead. That's, that's going to be what we're talking about today. And so what we'll do is we'll go back through the verses, um, make some comments, and just, like I had said before as well, this is not like the book of Revelation or parts of Daniel or Ezekiel where you read through things and go, I don't understand what wheels with eyes inside wheels. Like, what does all that mean? Like, this is pretty straight up that he kind of just said what he meant to say. You know, it's kind of that's, that's what he's saying. And so it's not like we need to decode this. But what we might need to do is take some time to make sure it saturates us with what it's saying. Okay? Because we can easily start to go, well, and then work our way out of this not doing what it needs to do. And remember, the book of James is written by Jesus' brother, actually named Jacob, and he's applying Jesus' teachings to um, the believers of the day that we're dealing with kind of maybe like we are a low-level persecution or a society that's not as friendly to Christian people or believers, you know. So here we go. So what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? This is the kind of question he's um, rhetorically asking through this whole passage, implying the answer is no. So I'll just give you, so, but what is he talking about? You might be like, 
There seems to be, in my mind, other things in the Bible that might seem like they're saying the opposite of this. And what you're thinking of is probably Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And you're like, well, isn't that saying the opposite thing? The answer is no. Um, and some people actually think that maybe James was trying to address this, like, Paul wrote that, and people heard that, and then they were applying it poorly, and then James is like, oh, you know, we need to, this is not what he meant by that. You know, what Paul is saying in Ephesians is that, like, yes, Jesus is the one who saved us by doing what he did on the cross and offering that forgiveness to us as a free gift, and you can't earn it. And James isn't saying, so earn it. That's not what he's saying. What James is saying is, when you experience that, it changes how you live, and you are changed in how you live, or else maybe that didn't happen. Okay? That's the quick paraphrase. Craig Keener said this, and I really like the way he said this. Genuine faith, the faith in this, genuine faith is a reality on which one stakes one's life, not merely... Did y'all find the slides? Okay. I'll just read. I had nice-looking slides. It helped illustrate my points. <laughs> doesn't really matter. Genuine faith is a reality on which one stakes one's life, not merely arrived assent to a doctrine. So translating that from um, kind of seminary talk is genuine faith, the one he's talking about, has actions that have come along with it. Like you've built your life around this now. It's load-bearing. We've talked about that term before. He's like, your faith has to be load-bearing or it, it isn't really faith. It's not just mentally saying, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus or whatever, you know. Also, some clarifying of terms. We'll say faith in this. He's talking about believing in Jesus, right? Because he says here, can that faith save you? What faith saves you? It's belief in Jesus. And deeds, what he's meaning by deeds or works, is the good stuff you do or how you live, okay? So faith in Jesus and the good stuff you did, that relationship between those two things is the whole thing. He isn't saying that faith is deeds. It isn't. Okay? But faith leads to deeds, but they're connected in a way that, like, they can't be separated. Okay? We'll keep going. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So he's using an example here that everybody would be familiar with because they know they're commanded to care for the poor, same way we are. Um, Deuteronomy talks about that, like pretty specifically. So they would know that. But he's not making a point that's specific to a poor person. Like, don't get distracted by the point he's making. His point is if you're around somebody that needs something, like, let's just take it completely away from that. There's a guy or a lady on the side of the road that has a flat tire, and you have all the means and ability to help with that, and you pull up and say, have a nice day. I hope you're tired as well. And you drive on. That's the illustration he's using. And he's not saying, so he's saying, like, how much did you actually help there by saying that? The answer is none. You know, you didn't help at all. And so that, he's using that just to illustrate this whole idea of, like, that is what faith without works looks like. Is you're driving by the person going, hope your tire gets better and drives away, assuming that you have all the skills and stuff necessary to help. Like, you could have helped and you didn't, right? So, you get what I mean? I don't know what that'll be like. Well, I don't know how to change a tire. It's like, that's not what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> and then we go to this. But someone will say, 
You have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith with deeds. Show, sorry, show you my faith by my deeds. But you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I brought this up a couple weeks ago. Um, this is where he's saying that these two things can't be separated anymore. You know, you want to claim one, you want to have the other. You're like, he's like, that doesn't work. Like, they're completely stuck together um, in the sense that if you have faith, deeds come from it. Um, and you can't break them apart and be like, well, I'm good because I have this. And people in different church groups try to do this kind of stuff. We don't need to get too deep into that because it doesn't really matter because we don't have to. But then he says the most intense statement kind of in this whole thing, where if you're on the side, and he's kind of mostly talking about, he's not talking about all these like people that are doing all this really great stuff all the time. You know, He's not really addressing that. He's, he's mostly addressing this idea that, that, that you could have a faith in Jesus that somehow doesn't affect the rest of your life. And we can be tempted in our society to do that. Like, you, like you see these polls a lot of times. They're usually around, like, elections or things. And be like, 75% of Americans consider, or identify as Christian. And you're like, okay. And then it's like, the next one is like, 10% of them go to church. It's like, what? Like, what kind of gap is that? You know, and what happens is like that 65, I made those numbers up, but those are kind of how they are. But the, uh, again, don't miss the point. The point isn't the numbers. <laughs> the point is that gap between the two is the culture that we find ourselves in, where you think being Christian is something that you're born into, or it's like a social category, or like a badge you could wear. And it's not like dying and being born again like which is a kind of paradigm shift of ultimate proportions, you know, that Jesus is inviting us to. We think it's like, oh, yeah, my mom was Catholic, so I'm Catholic. You're like, that doesn't work that way, you know what I mean? And in, like I'm saying, that's the predominant, uh, if you're not trying, that's where our culture pushes you towards, even most of our church culture, unfortunately. And the, and the reason this one hits home is because if you're in that category, you might answer sort of like that guy just did where he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I believe there's, that Jesus is Lord or whatever, sure, yeah. I mean, that's God, sure. I'm, I'm down with that. And his, com his comparison here is, oh, good. Even demons believe that. So if you're doing that, you're good. You're just like the demons, you know. And, and he's not, uh, he's just making the point that that's not what I'm talking about, you know. Just this mental ascent that Craig Keener said, that isn't going to do it. You know, if you think that I can just think the right things, in a way, that's a weird version of trying to work your salvation, you know, like earn it in some sort of thing. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a life that's built on this in a load-bearing way. You know, let's continue here. You foolish person, do you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. So now he's using an example in the Old Testament, a big example of Abraham. And just in case you don't remember the story, um, you can look back. It's in Genesis in like 15 and, and 22. God tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation and all this kind of stuff. And it's like the beginning of the whole um, kingdom of Israel and all this kind of thing. God's redemptive story is he's starting, leading all the way ultimately to Jesus' birth and all this. Like, but he's starting it through this guy. 
who's old and has no children. And he's like, you're going to have, you know, look at the stars in the sand. That's how many descendants you're going to have and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I don't even have a son yet, you know, and my wife's old. Don't do that, you know. <laughs> but he, uh, and then God fulfills, he has a son. He's like, oh, great. And then God, God says to him, I want you to sacrifice your son to me, which is strange. And ultimately, God doesn't have him do it. But he has to take him all the way up to the end of that, saying that, like, this is the only way that this whole thing that you've promised is going to be fulfilled, and now you're telling me to stop it. And he goes all the way up to the end, and God's like, don't do it. I just needed to see if you would do it, and you did. You would. And then he provides a lamb. There's a lot of imagery in that. Again, we don't need to get caught up in. The point is that if Abraham hadn't gone through with this, there's no, there's no proof of his faith at all. It's like when God says, hey, go to Abraham again. Go to this other land. He could say, I, I believe in that. He's like, but you didn't go. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and so the point isn't, you know, well, when does this start and when does that start? When does this faith and works? He's just saying they're stuck together in a way that if Abraham has faith, which he did, he would live it out, which he did. And there's no way to separate the two. And so that's the example that he's trying to make with, with Abraham here. And he uses it where it's accredited to him as righteousness. And God, God calls him his friend, which is an interesting thing to just stick in there. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You can't just say he believes it. You had to actually go all the way to the end, and God had to stop him. And in the same way, Rahab, the prostitute, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. This is an interesting one. He's, he's, uh, Rahab is in Jericho when the Israelites come, and some guys go um, to spy on the city to see how to break in. They end up in a prostitute's house, which is, reader, understand. And, but she ends up hiding them to, you know, save them from uh, the people that are looking for them. And, all. and so... But then she kind of makes a deal with them, like, I'm going to hide you, but I want you to, like, you know, when you guys come in, don't kill my whole family, you know, and they're like, we got you, you know, this kind of thing. But she understands that this, these people are moving with God and that she needs to orient her life towards that by acting on this understanding. You see what I mean? So he's drawing again on action accompanied with belief. And then the, the last point here is this, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So that's kind of where, we're, where we need to land and where we need to ponder for the next week or so, that faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action isn't probably a real faith of any sort. Faith without works isn't faith in Jesus at all. And again, I'm going to say faith isn't deeds. You can immediately start getting into this thing of, you know, and you also can't earn salvation. Like Paul is very clear about that, and that is true. This is not what this is even talking about, really. He's just saying that when you experience this change that Jesus offers, it changes everything, not just your mind. It changes everything, and it affects how we live. And the connection, I, I like to draw this back. We, we talked about this last week, but I think it's a helpful picture that when Jesus is questioned about the greatest commandments, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives the answer. You know, he says, to love your Lord, your heart, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
this is the first and greatest commandment. And without them asking, he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And what he did right there is he connected these two things, which was not foreign to them. These guys knew the, the law and the Old Testament. These were common things to be held together. But he connected them in such a way that he's implying if you do this first one, you do the second one. And they're not separable anymore. You know what I mean? You might be able to love people around you and not know who God is. There's plenty of people doing that kind of thing in the world. We don't need to stand up here and act like kindness is something that only Christian people have, okay? It's just wrong, or it's, it's just not true. You see, there's lots of people doing kind things. Even, I mean, the Bible even talks about even bad people giving good gifts to people they love, okay? Y'all follow me with this? I'm not talking about them being righteous or saved or anything. I'm just talking about, like, good works or good deeds. Even evil people, like if you watch The Godfather or something like that, even, like, Vito cares when his son is killed, you know? Look what they did to my boy. Y'all see, you know, y'all seen that. Y'all seen it. It's what makes it interesting. But the point is, um, <laughs> I don't know what the point is with that. The, the thing is that they're connected together in a way to which uh, um, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you do love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't claim this one if you're not doing that one, right? This is the same sort of thing. You can't claim a faith in Jesus that doesn't have deeds associated with it. That's the whole thing. You're going to show me your deeds? I'm going to show you my faith? Like, what are you talking Like, it should just be there, or it is just there, or it isn't, okay? And I say this because the ultimate thing being the faith is what he's really talking about. What does a real faith in Jesus look like? not what are really good deeds and what aren't. Like, he's not listing off deeds, per se. He's only listing off deeds, like, in the Old Testament, like Abraham and Rahab, as, as an example of this faith. Rahab did what she did because she believed God was who God was, and she wasn't on the right side of that one. She was like, hmm, I need to get on with this side. You know what I mean? And Abraham was doing what he said because he believed God told him to. You see? And so you could have lots of deeds over here that um, aren't coming from faith. You hear what I'm saying? Like I said, bad people can do good things. They can. Like, our faith should lead us to good deeds. It has to. It, ultim- it has to. It can't should. It has to. I should edit that. Edit. Has to. It must. It is. They're, in ex- they're completely connected. But you can do good deeds for other reasons. That's why the takeaway from this isn't, all right, better start doing deeds you know, I mean, that's not a terrible takeaway. Like, if you go, yeah, I've been kind of that person who was thinking I was talking about being Christian, but I'm really a jerk to everybody. I should probably stop doing that. Yeah, it's like, okay, that's better than, <laughs> sure. That's not what he's talking about, though. Because you can do good deeds for all sorts of reasons. And I'm saying good deeds being like however you want to define that. Let's be a little liberal with the definition right now, helping people out. That you could do it because of peer pressure. Like, everybody I'm around doing this thing, giving that extra roundup for the Red Cross thing at the checkout thing or whatever. I guess I better do it too. Or I've heard of this weird thing where everybody's like paying forward at a Starbucks drive-thru, which is not a place I frequent too much, but apparently like, if somebody pays in front of you for you, you're supposed to pay for the person behind you. But then other people are like, I bought one drink and I just spent $40 on whatever the person behind but the whole point was, is like, whether or not that's a good or bad thing to do, I don't really, you do it, live your own life, I don't care. But 
point is, that was peer pressure that gave, like, the person in the window is like, you probably, you know, I guess you should do it, you know, and like, I guess I should, but I don't really want to, and, you know. Um, so is that a good deed or not? I don't know. You know what I mean? But, like, you can be peer pressured into doing things. You also could just be motivated by some sense of moralism that's just in your own head. Like, I think this, you know, everybody should do this. And usually that, usually what you're really saying is, like, everybody should do this thing this way if they're good. And that's why I'm doing it. And that's why I'm mad that everybody else isn't or something like that. You see what I'm saying? But this is good that I'm doing it. And like, you seem really happy about it, you know? <laughs> I'm able to speak about this because I know what that's like in my own head. So, Also, this is, a, this is an interesting one to talk about, um, you know, even after like a storm or something. Like we, do, we often do things that are good for other people to alleviate our own guilt. So like there's a person in a less fortunate situation I feel guilty about something, but if I give them a few dollars, now I feel better about myself. Who are we talking about that whole time? You know, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, just be honest about it. That doesn't really have to do with, you know, your motivation there isn't because of what Jesus has done in my life. You know, it's like, I don't want to feel bad anymore, you know? So you're trying to, like, buy that off or something. And also in our, you know, day and age, you know, it could also just be to be seen, you know, like at the food pantry, you know, <laughs> helping out at school, you know, and, uh, you know, we do that stuff all the time. So it's like, what are you doing to just, just to look a certain way, you know? Well, here, this, here's Matthew 6, this is Jesus here. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Oops. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. I'm going to say, so when you give to the needy, don't just post it on Facebook like the hypocrites do. Do not, um, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. That's the thing, guys. Like, if we're doing these things to be honored by other people, um, you're so generous. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's your reward, you know. Generous life. So do not tell your left hand. Listen, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that by your giving, wait, so that your giving may be, why can't I read? What your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I do think it's important because we can easily get stuck on the deeds in so many different ways. You know, James is only saying if you have a transformative faith in Jesus, it affects everything in your life, especially how you live, how you treat other people, and you will do good things for people because you can't help it because you're a different person. And if you don't do that, you probably don't have faith in Jesus at all. I'm softening that, I guess, because I'm chicken. He's really saying, if you're not doing it, you don't have faith in Jesus. He actually says, your faith is dead. And it is that serious. So the, the real takeaway isn't, go do more works. The real takeaway is, do I have faith in Jesus? And if you're like, I don't know, 
You know, what about when I mess up things or when I, you know, Jesus is forgiving, guys. And I want to refer back. I liked, as we went through John, I like to refer back to John as, you know, illustration permits. And just because I think this is a good one. And Kayla, come on up here because I think we're definitely done. I should have called you up a while ago. Um, if, and I had a nice slide for this, but you can imagine it. <laughs> if you're saying, what do I do? I'm not sure about all that. Like my faith, I, you know, all that is just messing my head. It's supposed to. The answer is Jesus is saying to you, follow me. That's what he's saying to you. He's saying, then follow me. You know, that's it. Follow me. He says this throughout the whole book of John and throughout. And it, mainly I want to talk about Peter because you all all remember Peter. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth just like we do. You know, he's representing us in a lot of ways. You know, um, at the end of the whole thing, and Jesus comes and meets them back on the, 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 the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he, they, it says, like, Jesus reinstates Peter in John 21, and he tells Peter aside, and there's a do you love me, do you love me thing, because Peter denied him, you know, and he does that. But then you see this, uh, I, I didn't put it in here, so I'm having to, Peter, uh, Actually, I'm just going to pull it up. I have a Bible in here. Hold on. John 21. Hold on one second. I just want to read this because I like the way this happens. He tells Peter again, because it's Peter now. He says, then feed my sheep after he asked me, like, do you love him and all. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now that's intense. This is Peter who has failed Jesus. Jesus is saying, you're good. I've forgiven you. And you're the one, you're going to do all this and even die for my name like you claimed you would do before like i even i believe that you're going to do that all of this like how amazing is this interaction with jesus like all those things you're feeling terrible at i just wiped them away and like you're going to live this amazing life uh, just fo following me and doing the kinds of things you saw me do like healing people my goodness i mean all this kind of stuff that's the spot Peter's in at this moment. And forgiven of the worst things of denying Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Peter's reaction. Just like us, okay? Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one, blah, blah, you know. It says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Immediately. Immediately. What about that guy? You know, I mean, I was like, my goodness, God. Like, what happened to you? <laughs> Jesus answers, if I wanted to remain alive until I return? What is that to you? What is that to you? This is the situation we're in, guys. This faith, this deeds. So you're now we're trying to immediately judge everybody else's faith by the deeds you see them doing or not doing. That's not the point of this either. The point of this is Jesus is saying to you, to me, follow me in life and in example and in everything. And it's an offering. It's a, like what he gives to Peter there is a perfect example of what he gives to us. He's like, I'm not going to hold any of this stuff against you. I've forgiven you. But you're going to follow me now. 
And when you follow him, you do the things he does. This is not difficult to understand. We do the things he does. And it doesn't, and we need to be looking when we're going through James here, not there. You know, like don't just like that guy over, you know, because immediately it's just, it, it turns off what God's doing in your own life. He also, it, um, it doesn't matter. He says, what is it to you? Like what business is of, of yours? If that guy or anybody else in here doesn't follow me either, it's the exact same word I'm saying to them. It's like, he has to follow me too. It may take him in different places. It just doesn't matter. The reason I'm bringing this up is because so much of us, and even all, it's just, it's in our culture, but it was also, I mean, it's literally the next verse. It was there for Peter. We, we, we get in this moment where God is doing something amazing, and we want to like, I don't know, <laughs> let the pressure off or something, and immediately start talking about other people, you know? What about that guy, you know? And I want you to say, stop. Turn it back on yourself. Faith without works is dead. Do you have a living faith? This is it. And if you feel like you don't, Jesus is here saying to you, follow me. And he's saying that to each and every one of us. Because And everybody has the same commandment. So, Father, I pray that we would be people who follow you. Let's stand. She's going to close us in a song. And if you want to come down and pray um, at, at the, the altar, um, please do. And let's sort some business out because we need to be people who live out our faith and don't just claim something. So, Father, help us to be people who don't just claim things and especially things that we don't do. I pray that we'd be people who live out all that we claim. And, Lord, if we don't even know what that means, I pray that you would personally Give us the experience you gave Peter here, where you wipe away the sin in our lives and call us to follow you in ways that we understand with you, Lord. Not just uh, cultural acceptance of other people around us. We're not focusing on the deeds. We know those are just, they just come. So I pray that you would do this in our lives, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord, totally. In Jesus' name.
for the word of God. You know what I'm saying? This is your Bible. This is our Bible. Next week we're going to talk about taming the tongue. So it is not going to lighten up. It's going to get even. <laughs> Woo! So look, the playground will be open after the, the service. So but go pick up go pick up your kids and take them out there and let them have a good time. Uh, so Father, we just pray you bless us as we go. And I pray that you would let these words continue to saturate us, Lord, so that we don't just, uh, I don't know, turn that switch back on. Let us be people who actually live out what we believe. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance towards you, give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, definitely come forward.